All right, so we're at the tail end here of the book. Let's go ahead and dive in uh, on verse seven. So this is gonna be two paragraphs, so stick with us. And as John writes, as we've been uh, discovering, if you've been here for any length of time, John kind of writes in this uh, kind of a repetitive pattern. He doesn't just make point A, point B, point C, kind of like we do, and then get done. He just keeps kind of going over and over and over, changes a word or two and over and over and over and emphasizes things over and over. Different way to write. So see if you can see what he is emphasizing over these uh, two paragraphs. All right, so he starts out talking to this church who's been struggling as false teachers have come in and tried to convince them that, uh, yeah, that what uh, the gospel had taught is wrong and that they, uh, yeah, they actually need to find some secret knowledge and work their way in. He says to them, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. Makes sense. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction, the payment for our sins. Beloved. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Are you starting to see some of these repetitions here? You're supposed to. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God, or we believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We're cycling. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so we also are in this world. There's no love in fear. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Hear this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, then he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, from God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so... Let's go ahead and pray one more time because our our foundational assumption is that God is real and he wants to speak to us through his word and that this isn't just something to get through to check the box. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through this word. Sound good? All right, uh, I'll start. Jesus, that's my prayer. I want you to speak to us as a church through through your word. We heard the repetition. We're gonna study it a little bit more and dive into it, but ultimately we're gonna need you to speak to our hearts and give us that sense inside that, yeah, that's the thing for me. Yeah, God is telling me that. Yeah, that's real. God, will you please give us that? Now, uh, will each of you spend just 10 seconds or so asking God to speak to you directly today? And then will you pray for me that I would be able to preach clearly what he wants me to say? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. All right. So anytime we look at the scriptures, we need to make sure we understand what it's saying. So this one, it might seem like it's pretty obvious, right? 
We're supposed to love one another. Let's, let's dive in just briefly and do a little Bible study. So there's some repeated themes. We got those. We're supposed to love one another, God's love. And if you hate one another, then you might not know God. Okay, we're getting that. Um, God loved us first. And so that's why we're supposed to love one another. Actually, that is tall grass's motto. It's our motto, our mission statement, our vision. It's our motto because God first loved us. We exist to love God and love our neighbors. It comes directly from this passage. All right, but exactly how are we supposed to love one another? Is it just like be nice to people? No, let's look into this. So let's just briefly do a little bit of a, a, a study on three words in here that I think will help us to understand this passage. First of all, love. So love, there's lots of words for love in the scriptures, lots of words they could have chosen. This word is agape love. And that's the kind of love that's like really deep love, true goodwill, and it's strongly related to the word prefer. And so here's why I think this is interesting. It's not the preference of the person who is being loved, nor is it the preference of the person doing the loving. In the context of these passages, God is the one who is doing the preferring. So we are supposed to love one another with the kind of love that God likes, the kind of love that God prefers, his preferences, his thoughts about what that means. So, all right, it's a little bit different. God's love that self-initiates, self-gives. Yeah, his sacrificial love. Uh, brothers, brothers. So when he's talking about brothers, if you don't love your brother, brothers, he's talking about men and women in the church. So some translations will actually render it brothers and sisters or fellow believers. He's talking about Christians loving each other in the church. So this isn't just about guys, this is brothers and sisters. So as we go forward, I, I'm just gonna insert the word brothers and sisters, and uh, that actually is great yeah, in, in the context. So this is for, for one, one another pretty clearly here. And then the last one, perfected. This is not like I got a perfect te uh, math test score. I did perfect on my Calc 3 test. I never did, actually. <laughs> I took Calc 3, did not ever get a perfect. This is not a mathematical perfection. It's more like... That was the perfect day. Or you're the perfect wife. Well, not exactly perfect, perfect, but really good. And it's strongly related to the word mature and maturing. So like when someone gets better and grows and matures at something, that's the kind of perfection that this word is talking about. It's becoming mature, becoming mature. And so this is the kind of love that Paul talks about in uh, another book, uh, Colossians 1, in verse 28, he said, him, Jesus, is the one we proclaim. We warn everyone, teach everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature, perfect in Christ. Are any of you guys perfect mathematically with you, when it comes to your sin? Well, your sin has been taken away. The consequences sometimes still remain, but I'm not perfect. I still do some sins sometimes, as Jen knows, and as many of you know. I'm not perfect yet, but I am maturing. And the goal, the goal of the Christian life is to get everyone to be maturing in Christ so that we become like Christ. That's right. So that's the goal of, of the Christian life. So at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. This kind of maturity, this growing in love is the point of life. So a little side note here, that means it's entirely possible to be totally successful in terms of what your neighbors would think or your family would think or your friends would think. You could have all the money. You can be successful in your job or at school. You can have the right relationships and the right body and the right cleanliness of house, but be a total failure when it comes to the real meaning of life. 
to know God's love and to let it perfect you, to make, become mature in God's kind of love, giving that to one another. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? To climb the mountain of success, to get to the thing, whatever it is, to have that right amount in the bank account, to have other people like you, whatever it is for you, wouldn't it be a tragedy to get to the end and realize it was the wrong mountain? So many people are gonna get to the end and it's the wrong mountain. But we're being told clearly here, the point of life is to mature in your ability to love people like Jesus did. Oh, that's the right mountain. That's the right mountain. So what does that look like? So Jesus shows us his love. Right? This is, this is the measure of love in the Bible. And so uh, my guess is you don't even have to, uh, we don't even have to, uh, to, to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince you of this one. It's, so let's, uh, let's go on to our next passage here. Jesus is love himself. He loved his disciples well. He was fully present with them for years. He invited all sorts of different kind of people to be his disciples, men and women, people from the far left and the far right, people who didn't like each other, blue collar, white collar, all sorts of people he invited and then he lived with them such that they would be going on the way and they would lay their heads on each other's chest as they fell asleep sometimes. They walked through life together. They did life together. This is love. That's one part of love. He gave of himself to be with his disciples. Uh, three little snapshots that I think are really helpful uh, when we think about Jesus loving difficult people. Maybe sometimes that's where I think it shines best. You know you can love well when it's difficult people, maybe. Maybe you're the difficult person for someone else. Probably are. Probably are. Jesus with the Samaritan woman. So she would have been not only a woman, he was a man that was like, you wouldn't talk to each other, but she would be the other politically, the other uh, nationally. She was definitely not the person to talk to. But Jesus accepted her, right? He treats her with direct loving kindness. He gives her grace, and yet he also points her to truth. But she came away feeling loved and brought all of her friends back. Right? So he didn't just like uh, pass over. She actually was living with her fifth guy and it wasn't her husband. And Jesus didn't shy around that, but he didn't shame her. And he pointed her, hmm, okay, all right. So he, he went for it, but they were still graced in there. What about Matthew? Matthew, the tax collector, one of the guys that he invited to be his disciples. This guy would have been public enemy number one for any Jew of that day. So these would be, uh, these would be Jewish collaborators with Rome who was occupying Ju uh, Judea at the time. And Jews hated them because not only were they working for Rome, but they would skim extra from collecting taxes for the Romans and keep it for themselves. So these guys were like the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus looks at him, initiates with him, invites him to follow him. So much so that he feels loved and he decides to change his life and follow Jesus. All right. So he, didn't, he looked in the eyes of those people that other people hated. Last one, woman caught in adultery. So this one, this one's tough. I mean, the scene is pretty gritty. This, would have, this was uh, the, the Jewish leaders uh, caught a woman in the very act of adultery. So that's what it means. And then they dragged her in front of Jesus in the, in the temple to try to catch Jesus. And so I'm thinking, how did they catch her? My guess is they were setting her up to catch Jesus. Where's the guy? Something's off here, but she's probably half naked in front of Jesus and she's about to be killed because that would have been in the penalty. And so here's this sexually broken person in front of Jesus, everyone can see it. How is Jesus gonna treat a sexually broken person? How would we treat a sexually broken person when it all blows up and it's everywhere? Well, Jesus protects her. That's pretty great. Jesus gets between her and the crowds and he protects her. 
And he looks at her eyes. He looks at her in the eyes and humanizes her and gives her grace and truth. I'm catching a theme here, grace and truth and then love. So we all want this, right? So it doesn't take rocket science to know, I, I think, this is the kind of love I want to be loved by. My guess is you're here because you want to be loved in this way. I want to be loved in this way. I've had times where I've been loved in this way, sometimes where I haven't. And so I've got some walls up, but this is what I want. I want to be loved in this way. And sometimes I want to love other people in this way. Sometimes I don't. The more mature maybe we get, the more we decide we want to love people in this way. So let's use a hose analogy today. I was going to bring my garden hose today and have it up here as an object lesson, but then it rained and it was very muddy. I did not bring the hose. We've got a picture of the hose. So maybe we can be kind of like a hose. Let's see if we can go, go somewhere with this one. Hang in there. So we are designed to both receive God's brand of love, primarily from God and others, and then to give it out, let it flow through our lives, this living water of life out into others. That's what we were designed for. But there's a problem. The Bible tells us that really early on, we got disconnected from the source. When we were in the garden, we decided, ah, Jesus, and by we, I mean Adam and Eve, they're like, actually, we're gonna try to find a different source. We don't wanna do it this way. And then everything got broken. So our hoses have been messed up ever since. We've been disconnected from the source. And God's love has been uh, shut down, at least in the way that we long for it. But through Jesus, Jesus has poured out his love into our hearts for those who accepted him. That's Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts and he can reconnect us with the Father. He can become the, 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 the person who reconnects us with the spigot of the water of life. I know I'm pushing this a little bit, being a little cute, but I think you see where I'm going. We can be reconnected because by default, we are no longer connected. If you're here today and you've been at church maybe all your life and you went to church a little bit or something, but you don't feel connected to God, you've never chosen to say, Jesus, I want you to reconnect me with God, then you may not be connected with God. Jesus offers you that. It's a free gift because of what he's done on the cross. He took the penalty for you, for your sins, and he will reconnect you with God if you want through him. And so all you have to do today, maybe that's your to-do today, all you have to do today is to reconnect yourself with God through asking Jesus to do it for you and saying, I've got no other hope. There's no other living water that I have found. I'm gonna give you my life, will you do it? That's it. Maybe that's what you need to be even praying in your heart today, right now. But we have been designed to receive God's love and to give it out. So we want, I'm asking you today to be the hose. I don't know. Maybe that sounds a little weird. I want you guys to be the hose. Be the hose. That's what we're called to do. I'm going to be the hose. I want to be the hose. Will you be the hose? Be the hose. Okay, so, but here's where we're going. There's a problem with hoses. And this is a problem with me because I don't buy the most expensive hoses. Maybe if you buy the good expensive hoses, this doesn't happen. I get kinks in my hose all the time. Sometimes I know my hose is tied up to that spigot and I turn it on and I go to the end and it is a trickle at most. I'm trying to water my grass or the bare spots more likely. I'm trying to water or you know, spray down my car and there's only a teensy little bit. It's because it's common to get kinks in your hose, especially if it's been sitting for a while, especially if you just are yanking it around the side of your house or under the tire of your car. It's easy to get kinks in that thing. 
And it's easy for us to have kinks in our hoes. This is just part of life. We don't come uh, with, with the no kink version. God's plan, for whatever reason, is to help us to work out the kinks as we go together with him. And these kinks can hinder the flow of God's love through our life, even when we're connected with him, to others. My guess is if you've been in church for any length of time, you've experienced kinked hose Christian love. I'm going to give you a second. Can you th- I'm not going to make you say it. What is a moment where you've experienced kinked hose Christian love? It might be kind of funny. My guess is if you're like me, actually some relatively very painful scenes come up. There's some very painful scenes that come up. I know I'm, I, my, my hose has got kinks in it. Others probably have memories from me, but I experienced that from others. So what are some common kinks that we need to be aware of and that Jesus might be inviting us today to consider? Maybe that's the hose he's wanting, the kink in our hose that he's wanting to help us to work on. Because if we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep doing this thing together, tall grass and the well, and all of you guys who are visiting and checking out tall grass and the well, and really can two churches work together and love each other? I think we can. Can we really be better together? We need to, uh, we need to be able to uh, work out some kinks in our hoses so we can love each other well, because it's not gonna happen well by default. We gotta work out the kinks. Here's some common ones I thought of. See if you can connect with any of these. Common kink number one, people skills, deficient people skills. So some of us, all of us, come into life without a perfect experience. You've got some sort of issues from your past. Maybe the stuff wasn't modeled to you very well. Maybe there's a thousand reasons. that Some of us don't ever learn really good people skills. Actually, this is pretty common. Most of us don't have perfect people skills. Social awkwardness can really keep us from loving one another well. So this is where connection with the body of Christ can really work well. If we can get in here and be around each other long enough not to kill each other and not to just run the other way, we might be able to build a relationship and lovingly help one another to grow in our social skills. Actually, when you said that, that was pretty offensive. Did you know that? Or, hey, uh, do you know you like, are talking all the time and that girl over there never says anything? Do you know you tend to dominate conversations? Or do you know that you tend to never say anything? This would be great. This would be great. Let's, let's grow in this. So it might be people skills. It might be a kink in your hose. You need to just uh, be willing to open up to someone else and let them help you grow in some people skills. It's tough, but it can be, it can be pretty sweet. Next one, busyness or perceived busyness. This one's, I think, a pretty common kink. I feel so busy. Maybe you are busy. Maybe you're, you know, you've got lots of young kids at home. Maybe you're working two jobs. I think there is some genuine busyness. There's seasons of life where you're really busy. But I think there's also a trap of busyness where you can become stuck in feeling busy and then your perceived capacity goes down and everything starts to feel like a threat and you just live in perpetual emergency mode. I've resonated with that. Maybe you don't. You don't have to raise your hand. But busyness or perceived busyness can be a kink in our hose, the ability for God's love to flow through us. Maybe that's you. This ends, uh, ultimately ends up being a, um, uh, a passivity. Like, I want them to initiate. Maybe if I've got time and someone initiates with me. But that's not the kind of love we saw from Jesus. He always was initiating. He was an initiating lover. Another one is apathy. Oh, man. This is really, I just don't care. Oh, man, how common this one is. I have this one with probably some of you sometimes. And I'm so sorry. 
I want to care more. Sometimes I just don't. I'm probably going to get fired. This is the last time I'll preach. Brandon's last week, my last week. I think that isolation and amusement, if you combine this with anxiety and depression, can produce a me first, even like a victim me first mentality where ultimately I just don't have enough to care about others. You wouldn't say it that way. You wouldn't check that box on a test. But at the end of the day, your apathy level's pretty high. You don't have a great desire to connect with and love others. It's pretty common. Maybe that's a kink in your hose. Sense of uh, inadequacy. Man, maybe I just put all these up because I can relate to all of these. This one is actually relatively large for me. Uh, the, uh, The general sense that I suck and that nobody really wants to get to know me and I'm awkward and I'm weird and if I went and talked to somebody, they wouldn't like me or I would say something wrong. I really don't have anything to offer. You've maybe heard the imposter syndrome when, when you get in there and it's the negative thoughts that get in there and keep you shut down because you suck. Man, that one's a big one. You're not gonna be reaching out trying to love others when you're already so insecure yourself. Depression and anxiety live here pretty well. That one puts a major kink in there. I'm gonna give just a few more. See if you can uh, figure out what your top ones are. I'll just go through this one quickly. I think there's a pseudo-tolerance culture uh, that makes this very difficult. So uh, I'm calling this pseudo-tolerance because you know the, the idea kind of these days is that tolerance, and then I think our, what we would expect for love is not only do you accept me, which we should accept people, but you must accept and affirm everything I'm doing and believing and thinking and preferring. If that's what it means, then this is a huge straitjacket to our ability to love. Yeah, that's difficult. That makes things very difficult. And it can uh, creep in there so that we don't, um, we don't feel freed, even with one another, to do anything that wouldn't feel nice or would make the other person feel uncomfortable. Sometimes part of Jesus' brand of love is showing truth. Truth in love, but Jesus shared truth. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. And if we have no, no ability to share truth in love, then we're just being nice and no one's really loving each other. That one's a difficult one. We live in a divisive, hyper-polarized culture. That one seeps into the church. Have you noticed? You guys haven't noticed. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So unless you think and believe and do like me, you are the enemy and the other. I can only love people, I can only pour out into people that are exactly like me and think like me and either wear the mask or not and voted for Trump or not. Are you seeing where this is going? This is going to eviscerate our ability to love one another in the church because the church is everyone coming together and the common thing is Christ, right? This is the one's going to eviscerate it. We need to uh, pay attention to this one. I'm going to end with one that might not be on everyone's radar when we're thinking of our uh, ability to love one another getting really kinked. It's pornography, right? We don't talk about this one near as much as we should, but the pornography, both the use of by you or others, but also the culture it creates is a huge kink in our ability to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever thought about it that way? This one's a big one in the church. Just a few stats. I mean, we always throw out stats. Maybe these are familiar, maybe they're not. But it is a big problem in the church. This isn't just a few people around. This is, this is very pervasive. So 76%, this is a recent Barna study a few years ago. that shows that uh, 76% 
of uh, young adults are uh, actively searching for porn on a regular basis. Young Christian adults. Uh, 68% of church-going men are viewing porn regularly. I think that was once a month uh, in their stats. 87% of women have watched porn, Christian women. 25% of all Christian women struggle now with sexual dependency issues. And over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. That's like current stats. So this doesn't, I mean, it's shocking, and yet it's so not surprising to me. I mean, as I, I minister, this, is, this seems right. It's here, and so this affects both men and women because uh, uh, contrary to what uh, maybe the old school ideas or old school messages might be, pornography is not a men's thing. It's a men and women's thing, even though it's slightly higher percentage of men. This thing is coming at it uh, for men and women, so it's really decimating our ability to love one another. And so if uh, Patrick Carnes in his book, Out of the Shadows, talking about this, uh, he's, he's a real famous researcher and a counselor, um, sexual addiction counselor. He listed four key f- beliefs for people who are addicted to porn and sex that impact our ability to love others. See if, you, if, if these make sense. Uh, I, I don't have them on the screen. So uh, if, if for folks who uh, struggle with uh, pornography use and addiction, they think that them, they are essentially a bad person. I am basically bad and I am unworthy. I mean, that's gonna cripple your ability to love others. Regarding relationships, no one would love me if they knew the real me as I am. You're not gonna be reaching out trying to be vulnerable with others. Regarding my own needs, um, my needs are never going to be met if I depend on others. Oh, yeah, that would kill your ability to love and connect with others. And regarding sex, sex is the most important need in my life over relationships or anything else. Growing with God, etc. So all of those lead to an isolation between brothers and sisters in Christ. It kills our ability to love one another and it goes under the surface. Shame is really powerful. And so, so uh, a popular quote that I, I've heard by a guy named Ted Roberts speaking about this is he says, we're wounded in relationships so we have to be healed in relationships. And, and that... That's like the last thing that someone struggling with a sexual addiction wants to hear because shame says, I've got to hide this forever and no one will ever love me if they find out and I will never be able to pursue healing because I'll never be able to get free on my own and I can never tell anyone. But that's not true. Jesus wants you to know this morning that his power is very great and that the love of Christ can flow through one another and we can heal even this stuff. This kink can be undone too. Just a little bit about how that could work. So uh, we can practice humanizing one another. So whether you struggle with pornography or not, this is a part of our culture. It's a part of what we come into. So men, especially men maybe who have struggled with this and, and feel like they're trying really hard to be pure, practice um, seeing others uh, not as a threat, but as humans, as sisters in Christ perhaps. Practice it. Uh, Learn the difference between looking and lust. Knowing someone's a woman doesn't mean that you're lusting after them. Right? So instead of viewing women as a threat, humanize them as sisters. You don't have to bounce your eyes. Look at them in the eyes and say, hi, my name is. How are you today? Ask them about their day and their week. Sisters, you can do the same with men. Look at them in the eyes and say, hi, my name is. What's your name? How's your day? How's your week? You would be amazed at what happens when we start to humanize one another 
and look people in the eyes and push against this pornification culture and to try to treat one another as brothers and sisters. Oh my Lord, what might happen? And when we do this, when men and women are starting to do this, something magical happens and healing starts to get unleashed. I've experienced this. It's been um, my, one of my great uh, unexpected pleasures in my ministry life, even recently, is to, to start leaning more and more into the sexual addiction healing ministry. And so at Tallgrass, we, uh, we partner with a ministry called Pure Desire Ministries. And so we've got uh, groups and curriculum. It's is so good to help men and women find freedom and healing from sexual issues that they thought they could never get out of. And so we want to create a culture of grace where we can do this stuff together. And so if you're interested in taking a step there, man, yeah, I know it's scary. Uh, talk to me if you're a man. Uh, I'm, uh, my contact info is up here. You can also find it on our website, tallgrass.church. If you're a woman, uh, you can contact Alicia. She's uh, one of our elders. She's also our children's minister. Her contact info is here. And you can get on the list. Uh, We've got some pretty intensive, uh, even like nine-month-long groups. But uh, they work, and God's power is unleashed like nothing else I've seen. It's probably the most exciting thing I've been experiencing lately. And the thing that I've been feeling and sensing God's love flow in ways that I haven't seen. It's pretty sweet. So uh, if you're interested, contact me, get on the list. I want to specifically put a plug for women's groups because we've got all the material, we've got all the groups, we've got all the training, but so far we don't have any women who are willing to lead. And yet I know for sure that there are women who want to be in those groups. So my call specifically, my prayer is that God would raise up two women to start a group for the women I already know who are interested. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what God would be tugging on your heart this morning, a way to love others and let God's love flow through you. If you're interested, talk to me. We'll let you know what that might look like. So as we close, my longing is for us as a church to keep taking steps. We don't have to be perfect at it to start. We're all messy people. We got kinks in our hoses. But the goal isn't that we're all perfect right now, but it's that we're maturing. It's that we're maturing. As we do tall grass at the well, as we start our small groups in the fall, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna love one another well? Or are we gonna just kind of stay back a little bit? It would be very easy for tall grassians to stay over here, wellians to stay over here, maybe when small groups happen to kind of just keep those somewhat separate. That's not our vision. It could happen. I could see how it could happen. On Sunday mornings to primarily talk to the people that you know and are used to. What if we took a step? What if we took a step and practiced letting God mature us? And so as the band comes up, let me leave you with what might be your next step. I would love for God to give you a sense of what your next step might be. Otherwise, he's not speaking. I think he's speaking. He wants to speak to you. Are you willing to let God stretch you and even grow your ability to love others? Maybe it's a simple and yet terrifying step of initiating those conversations with people. Maybe because you have social anxiety, whatever reason, maybe you need to take a step on an on a Sunday morning. You, before you step in, you say a little prayer in your car and say, God, give me someone to talk to. Give me one person to encourage. I guarantee you he will answer that prayer. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is as simple as um, God telling you that he wants you to change the way you talk to others who are different from you. They wear the mask. You don't wear the mask. You know that they're a Republican. You're a Democrat. Whatever it is, they've got kids. You don't have kids. Their kids are crazy. Your kids are very not crazy. Whatever it is, maybe you need to go talk to them and humanize them and get to know them. Maybe your next step is to look another brother and sister in the eye 
and treat them like a brother or a sister. That's one of the reasons I even specifically, I, I try to say brother and sister to you guys. Kind of keep creating that culture and reminding us who we are. And maybe, maybe your next step is you know that this is the kink. You've got this kink in your life and that you want to let God's love flow through you by pursuing your healing and your sexuality. That would be really good. And there's no shame there. That's exactly what God might be leading. So maybe you need to either pursue a counseling appointment or to take the risk to contact either me or Alicia and see what it looked like to, could look like to step into a, uh, one of those confidential groups. So we're gonna take 30 seconds right now and I want you to ask God, God, what is my next step? Why don't you ask him that right now? Jesus, thank you for pouring your love into our hearts, overflowing so that we can pour into others. And that's my prayer. Lord, enlarge our hearts. Get the kinks out so that we can love one another well. I pray your blessing over the people here, watching online, the people here. I pray your blessing. And I pray that your spirit would speak gently and kindly and lovingly and that you would coax us out of the shadows and out of shame into a next step where we can practice we can mature, we can train in becoming better at loving one another so that out of that, as you teach us, then the world will know that we are your disciples because of how well we love one another. I know these are training days and the tall grass at the well thing seems like it could be a sweet opportunity to keep training. Lord, give us next steps and be with us on the way and we ask that you would unleash your power in ways that encourage us and others as we take these steps. In your name we pray, Jesus, our love. Amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.